Welcome, 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 friends. It's that time again. It's another episode of On the Way Home. I'm your host, Michael Braithwaite from Blue Door. I always say this as always, but it's true. We, we have not had a dud of a guest yet. I don't think we ever will because there's brilliant people in this space. We have amazing hosts. Or hosts sorry. We have average hosts, but we have amazing guests on this show. This week is no exception. We have two guests today. So double the expertise uh, and lived expertise as well, which is always awesome. Uh, I'd say nothing for us without us. Um, we should have voices of lived experience in everything we do. It should inform all the work that we do in the sector. And so, so pumped about that today. Before I get to today's guest, I would uh, not want to forget the people putting on this podcast. I think you know, I'm Michael Braithwaite from Blue Door. I work with some incredible people on the front lines doing life-saving work, uh, trying to house people from people that might just need a couple days of support around housing to people that might need 15 years support around housing. Everyone's journey is a little different and, and we're not there to define what their journey is, but to support them along the way with housing, health, and employment services. That team at Blue Door does that work. They are incredible. The other group that uh, co-produces the this podcast with us are the amazing folks at the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness. They are doing great stuff nationally, internationally, leading the way. Uh, they, there's so many different things they do. They do training. So go to their website at C-A-E-H. Uh, they have a Built for Zero training. You want to become a Built for Zero community if you're not already. Um, it's amazing stuff. Reach out to them through that. But they also have a conference coming up, don't you know? Uh, very beginning of November. Uh, I will be there doing some live uh, podcasting, so check that out. But they have hundreds of experts from around the world that come together and talk about housing, uh, homelessness, health prevention of homelessness, and, and uh, indigenous homelessness. All these experts from across the world come together. It's an incredible conference. If you haven't signed up, go to caeh.ca, check it out, sign up today. You will love it. It's three, four days of awesomeness, uh, and it doesn't get better uh, in this sector. So check that out. Go to that conference. It is amazing. And check them out for all the different things that CAH is doing, the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness. They are world leaders uh, in ending homelessness. And uh, we couldn't do this podcast without them. So let's get to today's guest. I am super excited. Now, listen, uh, many of my guests I, I meet sometimes for the first time uh, on the podcast. And, and just coincidentally, we're going to book this podcast at, at a different time and this individual reached out and said, hey, can we just bump it up a little bit? I've got this thing I got to go to. I thought, wow, that's great. You know, I was going to have to leave this thing I'm at a little early. And wouldn't you know it, we're at the same thing around homelessness prevention. And that's why we both had to change it. So we met there. Uh, and this is Marty Daly. Uh, let me tell you about Marty. Marty uh, is an advisor, facilitator, and certified peer specialist working in youth homelessness and youth mental health in Toronto, working from the lens of lived experience. Uh, Marty collaborates on community-based research projects to support by youth for youth resources, training, inclusion, and engagement. Marty brings over seven years of experience to the space and has a special interest in creating better employment opportunities for youth and people with lived experience, as well, very accomplished soccer player. I learned all about that the last couple of days. Uh, she is joined by Dr. Naomi uh, Tuling, 
uh, a nurse practitioner and researcher committed to working with the community to tackle the social and structural inequities that cause and perpetrate youth homelessness. Naomi is a scientist with MAP, with the MAP Center for Urban, MAP Center for Urban Health Solutions at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto. I think St. Mike's just had a, a talk uh, a day before. Uh, today is the 14th. This will air on the 27th. But yesterday they had the Odette talk there. Uh, one of our guests, Dr. Ko, just recently, uh, a guest, uh, was on the podcast. So as St. Mike's of Toronto, uh, and she is an assistant professor at the University of Toronto uh, and in public health. In 2021, Naomi and her husband founded Breakwater Foundation, a nonprofit organization that provides rent subsidies education education bursaries and primary health care to young women who have experienced homelessness incredible because all this and started that in her spare time as well i don't know where she gets the spare time just incredible uh work and we practices clinically at the breakwater foundation clinic and at covenant house toronto which is awesome naomi and marty welcome to the show thank you it's great to be here wow two as usual, two overachievers on the show <laughs> doing impactful work um, and inspiring work. We ask the same question to every guest that comes on the show because they're similar themes, but uh, it's different for everyone. And that is, uh, what does home mean to you? We're going to start with Marty and Naomi will go to you. All right. So I think the question of what home is, is always a very tricky question to answer because the first reaction that I have is drawing a mental blank. And by a mental blank, I mean an image. There is no image of home, uh, in my opinion. It, home, even though it doesn't have a material meaning, it's still it's a place where you want to be. I often think about it as a soft place to land because especially coming from a lens of lived experience, home is something that may have not been safe in the past. So thinking forward to if we had the home that we wanted, what would be there? It should be a place where you're comfortable being yourself. And further, I believe that it should be a place where you can find relief. So speaking of home, it should be a place where you go, Happy to be back here. Listen, we in all the episodes we've had, I think close to 100, no one's ever described it that way as that feeling, but love it. Uh, Naomi, your thoughts? Yeah, thanks, Marty, for that. I, I love that. Um, I think what I've learned from young people, I'm still really, you know, this idea of home, I still have a lot to learn about what that means as well. And um, I have learned so much from our Indigenous colleagues who I think are so much further along in their thinking about this than we are. Um, in particular, Jesse Thistle, who worked with the Canadian Observatory on Homelessness to help them uh, define what home is. And they talk, or he talks about this notion of being rooted. And my husband and I recently bought a farm and there's tons of trees on the farm. And I think of that, like developing these deep roots so that no matter what happens in life, you're solid and you just feel strong. And so to me, I think that that is what home is. Two great answers. I love that. And I love the, the feeling of roots. Um, you know what the thing is? Most people don't actually talk about the physical structure. They always talk about what the feeling that home brings to you. So it, it is really more a feeling than a structure. It really is a good lead in to uh, this next question, right? Because at the upcoming conference, you're presenting a session. The session is called Home is Not Really a Place, just like I said, not a place. Uh, and then young adults, post-homelessness experience of connection, disconnection, identity, and belonging. 
Uh, can you tell us a little bit about this? What can people expect? Yeah. Um, so to be honest, I'm still sorting out exactly what I'm going to say um, at the upcoming conference. Um, but I, you know, home is not a place is something that with a quote from one of the young people in the study that we just wrapped up. And so and maybe we'll talk about the study a little bit later, but just at a very high level, we gave uh, young people portable rent subsidies for two years and uh, half of them were randomly assigned a, a mentor. And we wanted to see if young people who got a mentor in red subsidies did a little bit better in terms of social and economic inclusion compared to the young people that did not. And we actually followed these young people for two and a half years. And so, and half of them I followed qualitatively, meaning I met with them every six months uh, for two and a half years. And I learned so much from them. And one of the things that I learned about, and it goes back to your question about what home is, and this transition away from homelessness, um, it's kind of this, this sort of this, this foggy space. A lot of young people talked about feeling like a little bit like shooting in the dark. Um, and it's sort of this in-between space where you're not homeless anymore, but you're, you know, you're housed, but you don't feel at home. Um, and then plus just being in your 20s is sort of this transitional liminal space, right? And so I learned so much from the young people about the importance of connection. So connecting to yourself. And by that, I mean like mentally and spiritually, and then also connecting to others. Um, and then uh, how that works to build this strong sense of self and ultimately a sense of belonging, um, regardless of whether people had a mentor or not. So I'm going to just sort of unpack those issues. And to be honest, I don't want to do too much of the talking. I really would just love this to be more of a discussion, a dialogue with my colleagues uh, and to, you know, kind of do a deeper dive into these concepts. Very cool. Marty, do you have anything to add? What are your hopes? For the new project or for the conference? Because I'm not presenting with Naomi, unfortunately. No, oh, that will, you know, it's a letdown, but I'm sure you'll be busy uh, at the conference. Um, so, so how did the transitioning youth out of homelessness, and so it's a TYOH, the community-based randomized clinical trial, how did this even come about? And what were you, you trying to understand? Um, and what outcomes were you hoping for? Yeah. So yeah, unfortunately, Marty is not. Marty recently joined our team, and I'm I I met Marty a few years ago, and I was just so impressed. She came up and sat beside me at a conference, a CAH conference, actually. I can't remember Marty how many years ago that was, but she she handed me handed me her business card, the Lived Experience Lab, and I heard her speaking, and I was just like. I just blown away by her always wanted to work with her so now she's on our our new study um so yeah she's not presenting with me this time but i'm sure she will next time um so uh, just briefly our transitioning youth out of homelessness study which we call tyoh for short and now we're calling it 1.0 because we're about to do a 2.0 um the, the way that came about michael was you know it goes back a few years the reason that i went back to school and, and did my doctoral work was because I wanted to see what it was like for young people once they exited homelessness, because there's not a lot of literature out there. There is more now, but there, at, at the time, for sure, there wasn't very much. And so what I did was, it's called an ethnographic study. So I hung out with nine young people that had recently left the shelter and moved into market rent housing. And this was in Toronto. Um, and I met with them every other week and I, I didn't use a car on purpose. And so I just walked around the city a lot, used a lot of public transit, uh, you know, met them at school, met their family, got to know them really well. And at the end, I, I'd done 119 interviews and I came away from that work. I, you know, really changed, I think just, just as a human changed. Um, but I thought, you know, I, I, 
it was way harder than I had even realized, um, even though I was a nurse, a nurse practitioner working at a shelter at the time, it was a way harder for young people to exit homelessness than I had ever imagined. And I thought we need to do a much better job at this. And there's really three key things that I felt that young people needed. Uh, financial security or financial capital. So like rent subsidies, for example, help with education. Uh, number two, social capital. So, you know, connections uh, in the community that can kind of help move you forward. And then the final thing was um, the, the idea of identity capital. So having a sense of purpose and feeling in control of your life, um, having a sense of confidence and good self-esteem. Uh, that's called identity capital. So those three things. And so I, after I graduated uh, with my PhD, I was like, okay, now I want to do an intervention where we try to tackle these three things. So in transitioning youth out of homelessness, we had three community partners, the Raft in St. Catharines, Living Rock in Hamilton, and Covenant House in Toronto. And we had 24 young people, so just a small study. We gave them all rent subsidies for two years. Um, Hamilton and St. Catharines got $400 a month, and Toronto participants got $500 a month. Um, and then randomly, we assigned half of them a study mentor. And the idea was, I think I already mentioned that we wanted to see if the young people who got a mentor did a little bit better in terms of social and economic inclusion outcomes uh, compared to the young people uh, that did not. Um, and my idea was, you know, I said those three things that they need, financial, social capital, identity capital. I thought, okay, so the social, so the, um, the financial capital is the rent subsidies. And then the mentors will help with that social capital and the identity capital. That was what, what I was thinking going in. Um, and then, you know, when we look at our findings, oh, no, first of all, we didn't obviously plan the pandemic. So the pandemic hit less than a year into the study. And that made it really challenging for our mentors and, and mentees to connect. Um, but uh, what we found was that uh, the group that got mentors didn't actually do uh, statistically any better than the group that did not get get mentors. So that was interesting. Um, but um, Everybody had stable outcomes over two years, despite being in the middle of a pandemic and, and nobody lost their housing. So we thought that was good. So that's sort of my long-winded answer of why I went into the study and a little bit about the study. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. Very cool. And, and yeah, I mean, I think it speaks to so, so much of uh, youth remaining seemingly houses uh, around this income supports, right? It really is just a, a lack of income. In fact, I remember uh, Marianne Bedard, when she was with the city of Toronto, would say that 80% of people that come into the shelter system, it is which is like one and done. So they come in, it, it's a very short stay and they're out. And it's that 20% that you hear a lot about, the chronically uh, homeless, that are have um, a higher acuity or more challenges that are harder to house, right? So for some, it really is just, hey, especially for youth in the cost of uh, housing. So no surprises there. Uh, I want to ask a question to Marty. Marty, um, you've been great at, at sharing, you know, your your story. 
And Naomi just mentioned, like, you know, we're talking about interventions. And I've heard you talk about how interventions uh, helped you along the way. And I'm wondering if you could expand on that a little bit and share as much as you're comfortable with. For sure. I think uh, interventions are a really interesting thing because they are, they can be conceptual and they can be material as well. And I think what Naomi was mentioning about having a mentor was very much a part of my story, having strong role models or strong um, folks just existing in their own bodies, to be quite honest. It's, it is quite something to be like confident as a person. Um, and when you're experiencing so much that confidence is not always there. So sometimes just seeing that it can exist out in the world uh, is a positive intervention. But for we know for folks, especially young people experiencing homelessness, that they don't have those people in their lives. If anything, they have one or none, unfortunately. And so when it comes to my own lived experience, I feel like I was in a place to receive support because I got that support at a very young age. I think it gets harder as you get older to be open um, if you didn't have those quote-unquote interventions earlier in life. And we know that the longer a young person uh, stays in the system or stays homeless, the harder it is for them to get out. So when it comes to prevention, the earlier, the better, and the earlier is as soon as possible, not waiting for, for kids to turn 16, 17, 18 years old. As soon as possible, we need to start building trust in systems because the systems are there ultimately to help them. Um, but if they haven't seen any example of that in their life, if they haven't received help in the ways that they needed as a young person, the chance of them trusting in a system as an intervention is very low. There you go. Thank you for that. Naomi, along the same track, uh, when you were putting this study together, working through it, were you able to incorporate uh, the voices of, of lived experts like, like Amarty and how it's designed and how you deliver it to people? Yeah. So in transitioning youth out of homelessness the first time, uh, I would say really honestly, no, not really. Um, although qualitatively the young people absolutely um you know we we go to those qualitative findings like all the time like that was so helpful and they absolutely informed tyoh 2.0 um but no we didn't have somebody with lived expertise um on our team at the time like we do now um having in terms of homelessness um but having said that we did have um research assistants for sure that drew on their lived expertise in terms of struggling, you know, with substance use and mental health um, and things like that. And so that was really helpful, I think, when we came to look at the data together. Very cool. And Marty, you know, I think I know the answer to this, but for our friends in the sector that may not, how, you know, why is it so important to have the voice of lived experts, lived experience like yourself uh, involved in all the work or informing the work uh, in this sector? I think uh, especially when it comes to homelessness, homelessness is something that is preventable, unlike mental health, which is something we may not have control over the direction that it goes. Um, gosh, so having the voices of lived experience, when you've experienced something, that you should have never been put through. All you can think of is what would have helped you, all the ways that when you look back, you go, okay, 
um, at this point, it would have been really helpful for someone to see me in more than one way. At this point, it would have been helpful to have someone to talk to, at least to seek advice. Um, so youth are really experts in their own experiences. But unfortunately, with the relationship to research and with history, it, it's, again, hard to convince them that these are safe ways for us to make change. So in participating in co-creation, that starts to create a space to see yourself represented in the work. So by doing this work, it's almost like a form of activism, but it helps us create more informed research. It's just taken many years to get to that point where I can sit with you now, very confident in using my lived experience. But when I started, the, the sector wasn't necessarily ready for that in the ways that it is today. Very cool and, and exciting to hear that that, uh, in fact, is changing. So, Naomi, you mentioned 2.0. Uh, I'm assuming you, you learned a lot from the first study, um, so much so that you've launched in the second. Can you talk a little bit about the learnings? And as well, were there any surprises along the way? I think you mentioned the mentor piece, which was probably surprising because you thought that might make a difference. Any other learnings or surprises? And, and, and what will be different in uh, 2.0? Yeah, two main surprises come to mind. So one is, and I'll talk a second about, about mentorship and what I kind of maybe was off the mark a little bit. But one of the, a big surprise was that a quarter of the young people, so six of them, used the rent subsidy money to move back home with their families. So we weren't expecting that. Um, so that was really interesting. We were happy to see, as I mentioned, that everybody remains stably housed. Um, and if you think about it from a cost benefit perspective, if you want to look at it that way, um, you know, it, so for example, Toronto participants, that costs us $6,000 a year for to house a participant. Well, that's uh, four times less expensive than supportive housing and six and a half times less expensive than sheltered housing. Again, if you want to look at it that way. So there's that aspect of it. But what's really interesting is the difference between a mentor and a coach. And I didn't understand that. I, I thought it was sort of the same thing. And the way that I've come to understand it as a mentor is maybe somebody that you would I imagine having coffee with a mentor. But a coach is somebody like if I don't know if you're like a Raptors fan, think about like Nick Nurse, like, you know, cheering you on from the sidelines um, and pulling you back if something's going wrong and pulling out, say, a whiteboard and be like, no, go here and do this. Um, at no time would Nick Nurse ever say, you sit on the bench and I'm going to go in and, and take your place in the game. That, that would never happen, right? So a, a coach just really helps you to see things differently. Um, and so that, that was some big learnings for me. And I don't know if, if Marty, so this is really cool because it, very serendipitous because as I was you know learning about the difference between coaching and mentoring and thinking about, I, that's where I think I got it wrong was that we needed a coach, I think, and not a mentor. And um, what we learned is that for um, young people really need to at first have a sense of purpose and, and kind of sort of roughly understand what it is that they where they want to go in life before a mentor can be super effective. And I was missing that part. So that's what we're doing differently uh, at this time. But what was really cool was that Marty was actually taking um, coaching training and then we just started talking about it. So I don't know, Marty, if you want to talk a little bit more about what we've done with the study. It's been so exciting for us to have Marty on the team. 
Yeah, so as Naomi said, it was a bit serendipitous um, because when we initially met, uh, I wanted to be on the study, you know, but of course it had already happened. So when there was a 2.0 and when Naomi called me and said, hey, we're going to do coaching this time, I was like, wow, I've been in these courses for the last few months and I would love the opportunity to actually see it in action to see if my theories about it are right. Um, but when it comes to coaching itself, what, what I like like about it as opposed to quote-unquote service as usual is it's exactly that it's not part of our service as usual at all um, at least not in the homeless sector that I know of right we do use mentors we do use case managers we use all these folks that do walk alongside young people and they play very important roles and with the coach what's interesting is that they do not claim to come with the answers they're there to also walk beside you, but with a with a sense of distance almost, but uh, inappropriate distance because we're there to help you see your strengths. And ultimately people will know where they want to go eventually, right? So the coach is there to help carve out those steps. Um, and also what I like about it is one of the first things we learned is that people can also be mandated into coaching. So maybe they don't want to be there. How do you help someone who maybe does not want, uh, doesn't know where to start, for instance. And so one of the first things that we would do as an exercise is chart out different domains of their life, you know, starting with a scale of 10 to one, as opposed to one to 10, um, because we really do want to take a space approach. And we ask folks, okay, if you mark on the, each of these lines, so let's say one is relationships and one is housing stability and one is employment, they would uh, show where they're at, you know, and then we'd ask, okay, what would be an ideal scenario for you? Because we often assume that 10 is the best and it absolutely is not the best for everyone. Sometimes 10 is not achievable and that's okay. And accepting that that is okay is part of what the coach is there to help the person see is that, yeah, if you want to reach an eight on your scale and eight is a comfortable place, that's okay. And we can work on that together because the coach never claims to have the answer. We just, I, if I find it a methodology that is almost hypnotic because we focus on the person's preferred future. You know, where would you want to go? What will it look like when you're there? And if you woke up tomorrow and a miracle had happened, what would it look like? And these are questions that we don't normally ask these young people. Um, so it's a whole different methodology than what we've done previously. Spoken like a true coach, uh, for, for sure. Now, when I try and get my kids sometimes, and they're older now, but and so they read when they were younger, and I'd say, uh, you should read this book, they'd ask me, uh, well, can I just watch the movie? And so I say that because um, along with the trial, there's a documentary film, right, called uh, Searching for Home. What can you tell us about the film? Yeah, for, so for TYOH uh, 1.0, we spoke with um, a documentary filmmaker naming, named uh, Katie Lamar, and um, she's just awesome. And she, we said, can you follow some, you know, 
some young people over time that are in the study. And so she picked uh, uh, three young people, but we put the call out and they, they let us know if they were interested in participating. Three young people and she followed them over a year and during the pandemic and during the time they had rent subsidies and then what it was like once they didn't have rent subsidies. So it's a short documentary film, 25 minutes. I don't wanna give the ending away, but what was really interesting was that there was three really distinct pathways that these young people ended up taking. Um, and yeah, I'm really, really proud of the film and how it turned out. We're not able to release it into the world just yet because it's under consideration uh, at a film festival, uh, but hopefully we'll be able to release it soon. Um, if people are interested in a trailer, there's a trailer um, on our website called searchingforhome.ca uh, so they can check it out there. Very cool. And it's a wonderful lead into our next question. So where are people and I don't know yet, but when it does come out, when you're trying, like, where can people go to learn more about the amazing work that you're doing? Um, or if they want to follow along in 2.0 or get ready for that. And in the future, see the film. You mentioned a website. Maybe you could repeat that. Uh, is that where people could check it out? Or is it social media? Anything you could share with us so people can uh, check out this wonderful work? Yeah. Well, and talk about serendipitous, you interviewing us. So our uh, we're really proud that our uh, our quantitative paper uh, from Transitioning Youth Out of Homelessness uh, 1.0 is uh, released on today, October 27th, uh, uh, through the Journal of uh, the American Medical Association, or JAMA, uh, JAMA Open. And so that is being released today, and that's open access, so anyone can read that, our quantitative findings, as well as, again, www.searchingforhome.ca if they're interested in the film. We also did a short animation, five minutes long, about our study findings if people want to learn more. Amazing. Well, congratulations on that work. And Marty, you're doing a million different things. If people want to find out what you're up to uh, and be inspired, where can they see more of your work? Oh gosh, I'm in the Oracle, also known as Google. <laughs> My work is actually all over the place, but I do have uh, some some bits in the academic stream, a little bit on LinkedIn, a little bit on Instagram. Um, unfortunately, I'm a decentralized resource, so <laughs> I'll have to work on that. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you both. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, thanks for doing this study. Uh, interesting enough, it's funny, um, and we'll, we'll have to talk at some point, in uh, York Region right now with Away Home Canada and the uh, COH, uh, Observatory on Homelessness, Canadian Observatory on Homelessness, we're looking at actually doing uh, Housing First for Youth with income supports. So not quite like it won't be designated towards rent, but what could happen with wraparound services? And we'll have a control group, like you mentioned, right? But our control group uh, would, I think it's, there's wraparound supports and income supports, and our control group would only get the wraparound supports. So we're interested and we're trying to prove, of course, with the right income supports, look what could happen. Uh, and you see some of that work uh, on the West Coast uh, and, and, you know, around income supports too. Um, if we just help young people a little more, what could happen? So we're excited about that. It is yet to be totally funded. So we're still hoping and pushing for it. But uh, I, I can't wait till the 27th to see uh, this work. And, you know, everyone listening, if you're going to the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness Conference, check out this session. You will not be disappointed. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining me today. Thanks, Michael. Thanks. I said we would deliver today with two great guests. We did not one, but two. This is exciting work. I mean, uh, so often people say, well, 
you know, we're trying to tell them something. So show us the data, show us the proof. And it's individuals like Naomi and the work she's doing uh, and Marty. Now bring us that proof, show us the data. Sometimes, you know, we're surprised along the way. We, we learned the difference between, say, a mentor and coach, uh, like Naomi was talking about. And that informs our next study moving forward. And we change things up a little bit and continue to push forward. Wow. Never disappointing on this podcast. I learned a lot. I hope you did too. And we'll see you next time on the way home. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.